Hey cousins, this is Tiff. Today's topic is a little mature for our younger audience. Listener discretion is advised. And I'm Tiff, and we're your Curious Cousins, where we talk about everything kooky and spooky in the state of Oklahoma. Welcome to episode 46. Welcome. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. (sighs) This week's been a little crazy for me, but you know, whatever. Okay. I do want to bring something up. I want your opinion. Okay. I told her I was going to bring something up, but she doesn't know what it is. (laughs) Yeah, I have no idea, so I'm scared. (laughs) Don't be scared. So last night on the news, they released, maybe, or they talked about whatever the right word is. Um, They broke the news that they're going to be building a theme park, an amusement park. Oh, yes, yes, yes. That's like... In Vanita? Yeah, just like by Vanita... And it's going to, it's like they compared it to Disney World. Right, right. It's going to be like a thousand acres. Right. There's going to be another 320 acres that are going to be for like campgrounds and like our price tag of like $2 billion. Yes. Billion. Yes. And it's called like American Heartland or something. And they built or they're going to be building it, like Tiff said, just like outside of Vanita Mm -hmm. or in Vanita. But close to 66, Route 66. Okay. I was wondering, because the news broke last night, yeah, yeah. and then it's been on a lot of news platforms that, like today. today. Yeah. Um, I was just curious what you thought about that. Ooh. I, I think the concept of it is, is unique. Mm-hmm. And it's a good, it reminds me kind of a lot of Silver Dollar City with the campground type mm-hmm. things. Like they're just trying to make that bigger. Oh, I don't know. That's a lot of tourism for Vanita, mm-hmm. which they would probably welcome. Well, well, essentially Oklahoma. Right, right, right. Well, yeah, for the entire state. Um, I don't know. There's a part of me that's like, it's gonna have. It's gonna have to be stellar in order to get people to think I'm gonna come to this teeny little town. Which, granted, they could. They're what Vanita's maybe an hour away from Tulsa. Yeah, it's just about an hour. E- yeah, like you know, okay, we could spend a day there mm-hmm. while we're visiting Tulsa, which would be great. But uh, I don't know. I'm very leery because I tend to think that theme parks don't do very well in our state. Mm-hmm. I mean, for years, Frontier City in Oklahoma City has struggled. Mm-hmm. And I, it's been put up for sale several times. And I think that it's never been sold. It's still owned by, I think, Six Flags owns it. Oh, really? Six Flags Corporation. I think they own it. Or they did at one time. And, I mean, even Big Splash slash Safari Joe slash whatever it's yeah, I don't even now. know what it I is I don't even now. either. It'll um, always be big splash. <laughs> right. And like, you know, Whitewater. I mean, it's always going to be like Whitewater Bay mm-hmm. to me yeah. in Oklahoma City. And, you know, honestly, those are the only three 
And those three struggle. Well, and Tulsa had bells. Right. And, and they couldn't even keep their theme park open. Right. And this is, you know, the second largest town in the state. So. Right. Well, and I also heard that like 20, there's like 20 or so former Disney um, people who like helped design like Disneyland and Disney World helped design some of their stuff. There's like 20 former really? Disney I can't remember what they called it in the article that are going to be working on it. Oh. And so like, that's why they're comparing it to Disney because it's like, there's going to have, they're going to have like the great planes, uh, Mm -hmm. something by you and uh, some other things. But like, I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm super on the fence about it. Right. Because on one hand, I think it could be really great for like our tourism Mm -hmm. and money coming into the state. But on the other hand, I'm like, that's, over a thousand acreage of land what happens if if it, it fails. flops yeah and that land that could have been used for something else because there's not a whole lot of places nowadays where there's just land right oklahoma is one of those few states that does just have land available. and like our farmers and right. our agriculture like i think part of me is like what's going to happen with that i mean and i know right. it's just northeastern part of our state just 1,000 acres of but our it's state still but. like I don't know I'm just I'm not quite sure how I feel about it right I, now yeah. so I'm kind of glad that you were I kind of had the same reaction because my coworkers were like oh that's gonna be so awesome I especially if it's gonna be like Disney World for it to be I would love for it to absolutely be successful right. um but you're right it makes me nervous and um, because I mean, it makes me feel a little bit better when you say like designers of Disney are on board mm-hmm. with it. So maybe that will just that alone or those people's um, like reputations mm-hmm. would maybe attract mm-hmm. people. Um, but, you know, I, of course, think that Oklahoma is a great state to come and visit. We have right. so we many have s- things. Right. Uh, really, we could. We have something for everybody. Right. Um, You just have to know where to look. Right. Exactly. But I know that when you are planning your, you know, Mm -hmm. road trips in the summer, Oklahoma is usually not at the top of the list. So uh, maybe this will bring it. Maybe. But... Um, but uh, yeah, I'm kind of like, I, ugh, I don't know. Like it's, it's, it's scary. But then I saw also, I heard also, um, through TikTok that they are planning a big amphitheater between like a luxury amphitheater between Mustang and Yukon. Really? And, um, I hadn't heard that. I didn't really get a lot of the details on it, but, um, because like, right, of course, when I'm like watching it, like, mm-hmm. I think somebody called me or something and then I just forgot about it until you just mentioned this because Uh they had mentioned that and um this amphitheater in the same you know in the same TikTok so um but it was something about like there was going to be like I don't know I feel like it was either 120 or 220 like VIP luxury fire pits in this amphitheater, so I guess, like, you could have, like, instead of, like, if you were at, like, a theater or something and you'd have, like, your box seat, uh-huh. like, it would be, like, instead it would be, like, I guess you could have a fire pit. Because it's outdoors. So, yeah, because it's and outdoors. It's, huh. um, but then I'm, like, also thinking, like, it looked huge and stuff. I'm, like, where is this going exactly? So are they playing, like, concerts for it? That's or what like... they're kind of thinking, but I'm, like... We already have the zoo amphitheater in Oklahoma City. Uh-huh. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, I, growing up, I've seen a ton of great concerts there. 
at the zoo amplifier, it probably needs updating. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, don't, I mean, I haven't been there in years. I think Miranda and I went and we saw uh, Journey. Oh, yeah. And Foreigner. I don't think I've ever been to the zoo amplifier. And um, like we saw them perform. And I just, I think about that. And I know like Frontier City has an outdoor concert venue. Mm-hmm. I know, is there a huge market for outdoor concert venues? Well, you know, um, here in Tulsa, or just kind of right outside of Tulsa, we had the um, the Disney Theater, and it was outside. And they put right. on, like, they did the musical Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, yes. and they did Oklahoma. Right, I was going to say, is that where they and, did Oklahoma for years and years? Yeah, and okay. so I know, but, you know, I don't, I mean, that's all Tulsa kind of had right. at the time. Right. So, so I don't, I don't know. know. It was kind of weird when I thought about that as well. And I was like, I, I just didn't, I guess, I guess I'm just unaware that there would be a great desire for an outdoor type well, amphitheater. You know, maybe if we lived in Colorado where it didn't get <laughs> 120 degrees with humidity. Right. I mean, who wants to be pits? outside in July Who's when it's gonna like use these fire pits? When are we hundred and le- something. We'll use them for the month of like November. We literally have like <laughs> two days of fall. Right. Right. So I don't know. Maybe we're both just pessimistic and they're both going <laughs> to it's going to blow up in our faces maybe in, so. in a year or two. And we're going to be eating crow. <laughs> maybe. You know, I mean, I'm not against the ideas. I'm no. just I'm very skeptical. And I'm I'm just leery because I feel like there's other places I mean, we could use our funds. Exactly, I so, I, I I agree, and I'm just kind of like, why? Yeah. why here? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I agree. Not okay. that I'm taking away, but anyway, right? Anyway, that's all I had, and I wanted your opinion on it. Well, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> well, anything else? Not that I can think of. Okay, I don't think. I don't think we have any corrections this week. I don't think we do either. <laughs> well, um, I'm just going to, I'm going to put this out there. Um, I know when you started this episode, you heard the warning that I usually give on episodes that tend to be not for our younger listeners. Um, again, I want to reiterate that this one may not be for our younger listeners. Um, you might want to think about the topic at hand because most everybody's going to be very familiar with this week's yes, topic. Yes, it's a... Uh... Um, We are doing, this is going to be two, three, maybe four-parter. At least probably a three-parter, I think. We're not Um, 100%. Not 100% (laughs) yet. But um, this is part one of the Girl Scout murders. Yes. Highly requested. Highly requested. Um, I know my friend Jess Rice asked about it. And I've had a few other people... um, ask about it. I know I just remembered her because I wrote her name down when I started mm-hmm. writing people's name down who were requesting stuff. So uh, we thought that this would be a great se- uh, season finale for us mm-hmm. um, because Jess and I are going to take off the month of August Yes, as I prepare to go back into the classroom for another year of fifth grade and uh, Jess just wants a break. I'm just going to have a break. Yeah. And so um, we thought <laughs> this would be a great great season ender and then we would start back up in september for year number season two year two yeah be our one year How anniversary crazy is that? I, know. I know our our one year anniversary is going to actually fall in august i think our first episode came out august 26 mm-hmm. and it's crazy to think that it's almost been a year i know it's nuts 
It's crazy. So, yes. So I am covering part one of the Girl Scout murders. Um, you may also know it as the Camp Scott murders. Mm-hmm. So here we go. I'm going to name some of my sources. First and foremost, if you really want to dive into this uh, true crime uh, case, there is so much information out there for you to take a hold of. And almost to the point, like if you were um, doing what Jess and I do, it's almost too much information. Yes. Yeah. Um, I will tell you that a lot of other podcasts mo- and a lot of mostly Oklahoma podcasts have mm-hmm. already covered this. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking through, I noticed that nobody's covered it since the new DNA evidence had come out last year. Oh. So, or no one that I could find. Right. So I do like that we are the first ones who are kind of recovering it after the new DNA evidence that was found mm-hmm. last year. But I did use the book, The Camp Scott Murders by C.S. Kelly, Oklahoma's Most Notorious Cases by Kent Freights, Remembering Camp Scott by Oklahoma State University at campscott.library.okstate.edu, AbandonedOklahoma.com, CampScottMurders.com, GirlScoutMurders.com, The Horrifying Oklahoma Girl Scout Murders Remain Unsolved 45 Years Later by Kat McAuliffe. I apologize if that's how, not how you pronounce your name, uh, for Ranker.com, The Tulsa World, and The New York Times. And there's tons of documentaries out there that you can oh watch Oh my goodness. Well. So yes, and I watched um, Keeper of the Ashes with Kristen Chenoweth. I listened to more, but actually I'm going to tell you right now, the first time I'd ever heard about this case was in 2021. Um, Morbid, a true crime podcast, covered it, and I had never heard about it before. That was the first time? That was the first time I'd heard about it. Oh, wow. And then Sirens podcast here out of, based here out of Oklahoma, they've covered it. they do a great job covering it. Erie, Oklahoma has covered it. Uh, So most of all of our other podcast sisters have covered it. A lot of other different podcasts around the country have Mm -hmm. covered it. So um, if you have a very favorite true crime podcast, they probably have covered it. Go check it out. Yeah. So let's take you back to those memories that many of us have of summer camp. Uh, Jess, did you go to summer camp? I went to church summer camp, okay. and it was only for a week. Okay. And I, I also went to church camp. I also went to, I was a campfire girl. So I went to campfire camp a couple of times. The hiking, swimming, singing, uh, quote, camping. <laughs> like um, at church camp, we, my first year I went to church camp, I went with my friend and it was more kind of like your traditional camping where this was, it was like one room bunkhouse mm-hmm. with like 800, 4,672 bunk beds. Mm-hmm. And it was hot. I don't remember there being air conditioning and, yeah. you know, grossness, but whatever. But then when I went to church camp with my church, it was very different. Mm-hmm. We had, you know, kind of nicer accommodations. We went to Falls Creek. Yeah, we did too. And, um, so it was just a little bit different. We had air conditioning. Now, the tabernacle did not, but nowadays the tabernacle does. <laughs> you don't know. You don't know until. Now, okay. Okay, there. Jess. Okay, though. Would you trade no air conditioning in the tabernacle for getting to swim in the devil's bathtub? No. Oh, I would have because I got to. Oh, I loved swimming Wait, in the devil's bathtub. Say that again. Like, I would take not having air conditioning in the. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. In, Sorry. Okay. I agree with you. Okay. Yes. I would take not having air conditioning in the tabernacle and getting to swim in the devil's bathtub. Yes, I would too. Yes. Oh Sorry, I missed. Yes. Oh, okay. It was switched no. in my mind when you so said it. that's what I think about. 
but I know there's a lot of people like Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts who they did like real life camping and I didn't do that. Here's the thing, Tiff. <laughs> I am not an outdoorsy kind of girl. <laughs> now, when I was younger, I loved being outside. Mm-hmm, I was outside mm-hmm. all the time. You would not believe it if you saw me. I was this tan little blonde haired kid running around outside all the time. Mm-hmm. I am no longer that kid. Okay. <laughs> I'm pale and pasty, and I would prefer not to be outside if I don't have to be in the blazing heat, okay? Right. But even being that kid that loved being outside, Mm -hmm. I did not want to sleep outside. Sleeping outside is something that I've never been. I was very similar to you. Like, I spent a lot of my life outdoors. My parents had a boat growing up. We were at the lake every other weekend. The worst part about being at the lake was I had to sleep in a tent. And I couldn't stand it. And I hate I hate that part. I am not a, quote, camper. Well, my, my family isn't really campers either. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. never really, we didn't go camping. Mm-hmm. My, like, I'm pretty sure my mom's idea of camping is we would go, like... We've rem- uh, do you remember when we went down to Tahlequah yes, like, as a family yes, and yes. we had like that was it one cabin or two? I feel like it was one enormous. It was cabin. like one giant cabin, and so yes. like all of us cousins got to stay in one together because yes. there were like bunk beds, yes. and we you know we went out on the river and we floated down the river mm-hmm, and you know mm-hmm. we did all that kind of things and that was that was fun, right? But like in a tent. Yeah, that's how that's how we went to the lake. I I'm we just not that kind of that's not my kind of fun. So, but kudos to those who who who, <laughs> who can do, do that. that. Yes, my husband loves it and my kids love it. So there's that. Uh, depending on how your camped work probably determined, like we just said, like what your quote camping mm, experience, experience was. was. Uh, but you know, most, most people think of like s'mores. You know, you're learning mm-hmm. new things, etc. Right. And I would venture to say that a majority of people on this planet probably have pleasant and fond memories of their mm-hmm. summer camp experiences. Uh, many of us that went to summer camp, we went through organizations like Campfire, Boys and Girl Scouts, uh, Church Camp, uh, Canacuck. Uh, there were some of those, some people, like I've always wanted to be this person, but some of you guys out there got that quote parent trap oh, yeah, camp right. experience <laughs> where you were gone for the whole summer. Like I'm telling you right now, I was so jealous. I wish I could have done that at least once. Well, I like the idea of it, but I know myself and I probably would have been homesick so fast <laughs> that I would have been calling my mom crying, like, come pick me up, please. It just looks so fun. And I, I remember one day I just, I'm sorry, we keep going off on tangents. We will get to the story, I promise. But um, I remember one day, it was probably not a few years ago, like I literally Googled it to see if there really were camps like that. Uh-huh. And there were, and they cost like $12,000 to Holy go cow. to. But then you saw everything your child got to do. And I was like, huh. Some parents were probably like, worth it. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, even though I would say, I would venture to say 95% of people probably had a great time. There are people who hate camp. I remember every year I was at camp, somebody mm-hmm. was there crying, hated it, whatever. Some didn't like the actual camping concept. They probably didn't like the food or the games or even the singing. Some didn't have a friend to hang out with or felt like the bathrooms were kind of dingy. Uh-huh. That was my problem. Yeah. Uh, yet there is a group of women out there today who are probably scarred from their mm-hmm. life experience mm-hmm. about going to camp. Um, the small group of 140 campers and staff members from the summer of 1977, that's who I'm talking about, uh, where three campers didn't return home. Um, their lives, this this 
memory has probably scarred them for life. It lives probably rent free in their minds every mm-hmm. day and it likely will for eternity, I would say. Oh, yeah. Today, like I said, I'm going to start our journey through what has been called one of Oklahoma's worst crimes against children. It was, for the longest time, the crime that held the largest manhunt in Oklahoma for one person. Mm. It was the loss of innocence for over 100 girls who simply wanted to spend two glorious weeks in the woods in eastern Oklahoma, sharing all the skills they had learned through the year while being a Girl Scout. Comparing their numbers of those cookies that they sold, learning new skills and games, just the camaraderie that that had to have, you know, had. Because those girls earned that trip to camp. Speaking of the cookies, I'm sorry. No, you're fine. I I had no idea that those originated in I Oklahoma. Didn't I didn't either. Fun fact. Yeah. Sorry if you were going to bring that in, up later. But. In either Muskogee or Tahlequah. I, I had no clue. One of those two. For some reason, I'm thinking it's Tahlequah. But for some, one of those two Girl Scout troops, either one in Muskogee or Tahlequah, I think it's Tahlequah, were the first to sell Girl Scout cookies. Crazy. Sorry. So. You mentioned cookies. So. Sorry. Um, today, we are going to talk about the deaths of Lori Farmer, Michelle Gousset, and Denise Milner, the Camp Scott murders or the Girl Scout murders. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to take you back to Locust Grove, Oklahoma mm-hmm. in June of 1977. Mm-hmm. Obviously summertime. Girls from around Oklahoma, mainly from the Tulsa area, but some as far away as Stillwater. Here they come. Mm-hmm. 140 campers and staff members, about 140 actual campers with 40 staff members with their families Some of them on charter buses. Some of them, their families took them. They arrived June 12th, 1977, also my mother's 17th birthday. Oh, wow. To Camp Scott, located in the Cookson Hills, just outside of Locust Grove proper. Girls of all ages were in attendance for two weeks of Girl Scouting fun. Camp Scott was owned by the Magic Empire Council of the Girl Scouts of America of Eastern Oklahoma. Here's some history about Camp Scott. The camp first opened as Camp Ma Delco on August 11th, 1928. Camp at this time was only to last for two weeks. Campers had the choice between staying for five days or the entire 10 days. If they chose to stay for five days, it only cost $5, which would be about $89 today. Mm -hmm. Um, That's still cheaper than like going to Falls Creek right now. Um, If they chose to stay the whole 10 days, it Mm -hmm. cost $9. Or $160, as it would be today. Um, Still cheaper. Right. That's crazy. I I didn't know. they also during the Great Depression. Well, I didn't realize that they had the option to go five days or ten days. I Mm -hmm. didn't know that they had that. And that was, it was only open that one time in the year for them to go. And so really they had, you know, you had to make a choice. Mm -hmm. But a few short years would pass before the camp was renamed Camp Scott. And its popularity just grew every year. It's named after H.J. Scotty. Uh, Scott was H.J. Scott was his name, but they called him Scotty mm-hmm. and his wife, Florence Scott, who they were both boy and Girl Scout volunteers. I could never find if those two were actually both a boy and Girl Scout, but I know they volunteered their time for the Scouts. Mm-hmm. They had donated 24 acres so that the camp could open. Um, the Oklahoma Girl Scout Council, through cookie sales of all things, <laughs> Every year would buy additional land that would surround the area, totaling in the end to 410 acres. So they went from 24 to 410. This included 20 buildings scattered across the 410 acres with plumbing and running water. 
1956, the Girl Scouts planted thousands of pine trees to make it like a really woody experience, mm-hmm. you know. In 1962, the Great Hall was constructed through funds raised through cookie sales again. It is believed over its 49-year history that more than 12,000 girls attended camp here. How many? 12,000. Wow. Campers could learn to swim. They could learn CPR. They could do archery, pathfinding, bridge building, which I thought was amazing. Yeah. uh, Bird study, insect life, and of course, leadership skills. Wow. Camp Scott served Oklahoma for almost 50 years as a fun, memorable place for girls to spend their summers. When the camp wasn't hosting Girl Scouts, it was used for other local festivals and events such as the Rancho Festival, the Water Carnival, which I don't know what that was, but that sounds fun. Mm-hmm. The Oklahoma Academy of Science had their annual meeting there, and I think it was stated somewhere that even they had like a national conference there once. The camp's popularity grew each year. With, in 1957, it's peaking at having 4,606 girls in that one summer. Oh, my gosh. And they would typically last for about two weeks. So you'd have like a two-week stint, Uh and there would be like a couple-day turnover, and then two more weeks, and then a couple-day turnover. So usually the camp counselors would stay the entire summer or for a while, and um, then the campers would just kind of Change. change in. All right. The camp was divided into units named after different native tribes here in Oklahoma. And I just want, not that I'm going to be pompous or anything, but when you listened to podcasts that aren't from Oklahoma and they try to pronounce these names, I I kind of giggle. But mm-hmm. then I just, you know, it's because I'm used to hearing these names. Right. Well, I've, I mean, yeah, we giggle about it. But we, we also know that if we were to pronounce something in their state, it would oh, probably usually be wrong. Probably wrong. So. Yes. So, you know, you had the Arapaho, Seminole, Choctaw, Quapaw, Comanche, Cherokee, Kiowa, Osage, (laughs) Chickasaw, and Creek units. Each unit had eight tents, one for the counselor, and there would be about two or three ladies between the ages of 16 to 25 who would be that unit's counselor, Mm. and then seven for the campers, and there were four campers per tent. Additionally, there was a red barn, the cedar lodge, the staff house, the cook's cabin, a pool, the director's office, the health center, and the ranger's house. And the ranger actually lived full time on the camp. Ah. Campers probably were super excited to get their cots set up, knowing they were in for like a really fun time. Well, yeah. Their moms, aunts, sisters, maybe even some of them would be grandmas, Mm -hmm. could have attended camp here and probably just sang their praises. Oh, yeah. In fact, you can look up pictures on the Oklahoma State's memorial website Mm -hmm. from the camp, and you can see patches from all the – I mean, you can see a 1977 Camp Scott patch, but you can see all the other year patches as well because Mm -hmm. you got a patch for going to camp. Mm. So because we have the gift of hindsight – we're going to kind of back the tra- the back this train up just a little bit to April of 1977. It was a cadet weekend. And what this meant, I kind of looked into it. These were for the kind of upper age group mm-hmm. girls and Girl Scouts. Um, I think maybe it could have also been something like they were going to be talking about summer camp and how we're going to train people and what was expected as counselors. Maybe you were planning the events or the games or the Mm -hmm. meals or something. But it seemed from my research that this was something that the older girls attended. Like they usually they were probably 16 years and older. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, 
So during this weekend, one counselor found her tent ransacked. She was staying in the Seminole unit. $53 had been stolen from her purse. Counselor Michelle Hoffman had brought some donuts from home with her. All of those donuts were gone. Yet inside the box, there were several pages of notes. Notes? Two to three of the note pages had the word kill (gasps) written on it repeatedly. Oh my goodness. The last page had a message. We're on a mission to kill three girls. The donut box with the notes was taken to the camp director. The director said she would look into it, but it was believed at the time to have been a prank. It was claimed, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to loosely say claimed, that three girls admitted to doing this prank. But, and we'll find out, many mistakes were made and many warnings, I believe, were swept under the rug. Mm. Now, I want to reiterate, this is 1977. Mm-hmm. Rule, 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 Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. It, you know, this, my mother has told me before that she hitchhiked. And of course, in my mind, I'm like, oh my God, how are you even alive? <laughs> and she hitchhiked in the 70s of all th- times. But that was very common. You know, things were very, you know, our grandparents for the longest time kept their keys in their car. I remember grandma pulling into, you know, her, into the garage and just, getting out and the keys are still sitting there and I'm like what is going you know so times were very different Mm -hmm. and I know that in the and everyone's heart I really believe they thought this is a Girl Scout camp who is gonna bother that yeah you know the week before camp started so now we're back into June two sorry I just I'm sitting here thinking even if it was a prank even back then, what a horrible prank. Right. To say that you're going to kill three girls. That's what I think, like, too. Sorry. I was no, just fine. thinking about that. I think it's I a just, terrible prank. So let's fast forward back to June. Mm-hmm. The week before camp started, two of the counselors were followed by an unknown person with a flashlight. At, at the camp. At Camp Scott. In this same week, another staff member saw a man enter their tent. All of this information was reported. The Saturday before camp was to start, Mm -hmm. Richard Day, the camp director's husband, met a stranger inside the camp carrying a clear jug. Sunday, the day that camp was starting, the camp ranger, Ben Woodward, he's also the caretaker and, like I said, he lived there full time. Mm -hmm. He found a slashed tent flap with a four to five inch section removed sometime during the hours before the scouts arrived that day. And nobody was concerned about that? Hmm. I apparently not. Hmm. So June 12th, 1977. This was the day many Girl Scouts had been looking forward to. It was time to go to camp. So, like I said, there were 40 staff members, 100 campers were brought all the way to Locust Grove by their families or via a Greyhound bus. Um, If their families came, you know, mama had to get in there and help set up the cots, place their toiletries in a particular Mm -hmm. order. Stationery and stamps were all handed out because that's how we communicated. You know, kisses and hugs given. And then the girls were all set for their two weeks away for fun with friends. In the Kiowa unit... 
uh, remember I said there's like tent. There's eight tents. Mm-hmm. In tent number eight, there were only three occupants okay. um, instead of the typical four. This was Doris Denise Milner, age 10, of Tulsa. Lori Lee Farmer, age 8, of Tulsa. And Michelle Gousset, age 9, of Broken Arrow. This unit was heavily wooded. The whole Kiowa unit was heavily wooded and without lighted tent areas. And it also appeared to be quite overgrown. Mm -hmm. Weather records show the temperatures to be rather warm in the upper 90s during the day. Mm -hmm. Yet around 6 p.m., thunderstorms moved into the area. The rain lasted until around 8 p.m. And the remaining evening and night until morning remained pretty overcast and cloudy. Even um, Monday morning, Mm -hmm. it was still reported that it was cloudy that day. Due to the rain, I'm sure many of the activities were postponed or canceled. So the girls had retired to their tents pretty early. Uh, The girls of Tent 8 and the Kiowa unit used this time to write to their families. As one does. Mm -hmm. Well, 1977, that's what you do. that's what... By 10 p.m., all the Kiowa tents were checked by the Kiowa counselors. The Kiowa unit was unique because the kitchen storage showers, and I don't know what that meant at Mm -hmm. all, if those were the showers that the girls had to use, if that was only for the kitchen staff, but it's labeled on a map, the kitchen storage showers. Maybe it was all those things. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. The building was kind of placed in the middle of the grouping. And of course, I'm using my hands to show Jess, but (laughs) you guys can't see it. So um, they were kind of almost in like a, not quite a horseshoe shape, more of like a C shape. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of that C would be that shower. So it's almost like it made it a G kind yeah. of. Um, it also appears that um, that maybe the tents had different numbers at one time or there were at one time more tents in a unit. Because often in many reports, you're going to find tent seven is called tent eight. Tent 10 is also mentioned at times. How confusing. But when you look at the map, you can ca- you can literally count the tents because there's aerial pictures. And there's only eight tents, including the counselor's tent. That's weird. So just remember also when you're thinking about this, the counselors were usually teenagers mm-hmm. um, as young as 16, but and really no older than 25. So... Um, just keep that in mind. I know one of the prime witnesses, like the poor girl, and I'll, t- I'll tell you how old most of them are if I know. Yeah. Um, but here we are at 10 p.m. the first night. Every camper is accounted for and nothing is out of the ordinary. Um, I'm assuming by this time that most of them were told that it was lights out. It was time to go to bed if you weren't already asleep. Yeah. There were several. Re- there's going to be several reports and I'm going to go kind of through a timeline here. So June 13th, 1977, 1.30 a.m. Counselor Carla Willite, I hope that's how you say her name. She was 18, 16 or 18, now I can't remember. She wakes up because she heard a strange noise. She was one of the Kiowa counselor counselors. So she was in their tent, and uh, she says it was near tent 10, which we really know is tent 8. So she goes to investigate. She shines her flashlight into the woods and thought the sound could be something like a frog or like a bull, Mm -hmm. like a bullhorn from like a, like a, like a bullfrog. Yeah. But she called it a bullhorn. Um, She just said it was something not human, but not really animal. It was quote, just different. Like she knew there's something weird Mm. about the sound. Okay. 
The sound continues off and on as Carla shines her flashlight around. Like she would get to a particular area and the sound would stop. Mm -hmm. And then she'd move it and it would start again. But finally, after several minutes, it did finally stop. And so she just kind of chalked it up to being an animal Mm -hmm. and returned back to her tent. At 2 a.m., a girl in tent 7. This is not the victim's tent. This is actually tent 7. See, and the numbering it gets (laughs) off at times. She sees a shadowy figure open the tent flap, shine a flashlight inside, then leave. The girl was very scared and she made no sound. But after the figure left, she didn't know what to do. So she just fell back asleep. Now, I will tell everybody, the campers in the Kiowa unit were the youngest of all the groups. So I believe that they were ages 7 or 8 to 10. I can't imagine being 7, 8, or even 9 years old Mm -hmm. and being away at camp for two weeks. I I can't either. Like, me personally would not have been able to be away from my mother that long. Yeah. Not that I was, like, a big mama's girl, but, like, I did get homesick. I got homesick going and stay the night at a friend's house. Right. That lived further away. I'd have to cry and call my mom. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I can't even imagine being that young. I think it was just a different time. And it was just different groups. I mean, it was normal, I think, then, that people went to summer camp. I'm just saying I wouldn't have been able to do it. (laughs) Around 3 a.m., another camper, several hundred yards away in another tent, and didn't specify which tent number it was, thought she heard a scream, but she wasn't sure. And at that exact time, another camper heard a scream, followed by someone crying, Mama, Mama. (sighs) Unsure what to do, both girls went back to sleep. And, oh, I, this is where I wrote it down. The girls in a Kiowa camp were between the ages of 7 and 10. Mm. So this was the youngest group. At 6 a.m., Carla, the counselor, mm-hmm. she goes to take a shower. On her way, she finds three sleeping bags at the intersection of two trails, roughly 150 feet from tent 8, which we will figure out is the victim's tent. Carla, she went to check on the sleeping bags. Uh, she thought maybe some extra luggage got dropped off later or maybe you know someone got scared or mm-hmm. you know maybe it's right. just girls being girls because I mean it's camp and everyone's a little silly at camp right and what she's about to come up upon I just it, it breaks my heart mm-hmm. to yeah. think that this probably ruined a lot of her camping memory it scarred her for life I mean and, I'm sure I, I mean, don't want to like, assume that even, that did but well I mean you know that were stuck, me but yeah. you know that stuck with her for the rest of her life so when she happen, when she walks up to the sleeping bags, one of the the bags is open with the body of ten year old Doris mm. Milner on top, severely beaten and nude from the waist down. Her hands were duct taped behind her back, and a cord was wrapped around her neck with cylindrical piece of cloth attached. The other two sleeping bags were zipped up, but appeared to have something inside them. Mm. Carla ran back and told the other two Kyle. Kiowa counselors, D. Elder and Susan Emery, to go count the girls because she had found a body. While the campers were being counted, counselor D. Elder discovered no campers inside of tent eight. Mm. And there was blood everywhere. <sighs> just chills, just like. <sighs> she then ran for help. Carla ran into the camp nurse, Mary Ann Alabac, and told her about the body. She then arrived at the director's office, and Richard Day, husband to the camp director, Barbara Day, responded. 
When Richard and Carla made it back to the unit site, the nurse confirmed there were three bodies. Mm. Susan attempted to pick up one of the zipped up bags near the deceased body, not knowing that there was something inside. Um, she quickly realized that there was something inside mm. um, and mm, quickly mm, sat mm. him back down. I believe Richard, he actually looked inside and determined that there were two other bodies in there. Barbara stated that they needed to call the police, but also had Carla gather all of the campers out of the Kiowa unit and not tell anybody what happened. Mm -hmm. She wanted the Kiowa campers removed because the highway patrol would probably soon be there. Mm -hmm. With the help of Carla and Dee's friends from the Arapaho and Quapaw units, the Kiowa counselors were able to gather the girls and get them away from the crime scene. And it's like, what do you tell them? Like, right. what do you say? And they didn't tell them anything. They just said, get up and come with us. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, I can, oh, I don't know. During this whole time, it was determined that the campers and staff members had to be sent home. Charter buses were going to be called and scheduled to come pick up the campers by 3 p.m. that day. And this is kind of a crazy thing. The news traveled so fast. When this oh, yeah. started to happen, that this is kind of a kooky fact that while leaving the camp, swarms of reporters were already at the camp gates filming the charter buses as they left with the campers inside. And these poor girls were completely unaware of the nightmare that they just left. Right. Yeah. By 10 a.m., Oklahoma Highway Patrol Officer Harold Berry is the first law enforcement officer to arrive at Camp Scott. Officer Berry secures the scene. Mays County Sheriff Glenn Pete Weaver and Deputy A.D. David shortly followed. OSBI would be quickly called and the FBI as well. Sid Wise was Mays, was Mays County uh, DA at the time and he also came out. Mm. Evidence was quickly collected. So they started off on a good foot, I think. It was quick besides the fact that these people had touched right. the crime scene. But I mean, in their defense, they probably they didn't, didn't know. know. They didn't know. So, and it is, like, it is recorded, like, uh, you have to record everybody who's touched the crime. So, like, right. they walked, like, one of the girls walked into the tent, and so they had to record that she had walked into the tent mm -hmm. and uh, potentially touched stuff and yeah. that kind of stuff. So, evidence was quickly collected, including a red six-volt flashlight, and I, there's something about what I'm about to tell you that just, it, this is a whole new level of evilness. Mm-hmm. There was newspaper stuffed around the batteries so they wouldn't rattle. The cover of it where, like, the lens of the flashlight was had mm -hmm. been completely covered and, like, a small hole poked into it so that it could focus the flashlight light. It made it more focused and smaller. Mm -hmm. <sighs> a partial roll of black electrical tape was found, rope, a pair of glasses, um, a bloody shoe and footprint were also found inside the tent. Hair was stuck to the tape binding Doris. Uh, later, what they would have it tested, and this hair would be analyzed and determined to be from someone of mongoloid. I, that, I hate that. I don't like the sound of that word. Mm -hmm. So it must be someone from the Mongolian region or Native American origin. So okay. those are the two types. Remember, at that end, 1977, they could tell what blood type it was. They could tell, like, where the hair came from. They right. just couldn't tell you what gender they were right. or who specifically it was. The tent was described as being soaked in blood. Mm. In fact, to preserve the evidence, 
OSBI had the flooring carefully taken apart and shipped to Oklahoma City. Oh, my gosh. So that they could analyze it in their lab. I didn't remember hearing about that. That's crazy. I mean, oh, my gosh. I know. So there was a size 10 men's boot print found and a men's size seven and a half tennis shoe print that were found both inside the tent on the floor, but then they were also located outside because it had rained the night before. So So there were footprints everywhere. Wow. Law enforcement started to build theories on what had happened. They believed that Lori Farmer and Michelle Gousset were murdered in their beds and then dragged to the dumping area. Doris, however, would have been treated much worse. Mm. They were babies. They were babies. Now, this is where, as a mama, Mm -hmm. I get real mad. Mm -hmm. And this story really affects me the most as a mother. Before contacting the victim's parents, Barbara Day contacts the camp's insurance company. She is then reported that she contacts an attorney. Then she contacts the Girl Scouts of America person and then somebody with uh, the Magical Empire Council. In fact, when she finally contacted the three parents, she simply said there had been an accident. Mm. In fact, the parents of the girls who were murdered didn't know that their daughters had been murdered. In fact... Parents who were going to pick up their children Mm -hmm. didn't know if their child was going to get off the bus because they, I mean, I guess they only called the victim's families, but they didn't call any of the other parents. So you could literally be standing out there thinking, my child may not get off the bus. I don't know if my child's going to get off the bus. I can't even imagine the anxiety. And, And then to think that the girls who whose families had to find out that they had passed away, mm-hmm. found out on the radio as they were driving that the girls, there wasn't an accident. That's they had been murdered. Horrible. They had been murdered. That's absolutely horrible. So campers, they were upset when they got off the bus, but only because camp had been canceled. They still had no idea right. why they yeah. were getting. And so their parents then at this point had to break the news to them that three of their friends had been brutally murdered. And like even parents didn't even know that. Yeah. Much. By 4.45 p.m., the bodies had been transferred to Tulsa for autopsies performed by Dr. Neil Hoffman. This is another thing that I question. Mm-hmm. 20 law enforcement and lab techs were present during the autopsy. Now, is that normal? Mm, I, I didn't my think mind, it was. And granted, I guess my experience, I only have like, CSI shows to watch, but I feel like there is never that many people present for an autopsy. Why? Like why? the doctor and maybe some technicians, maybe a law enforcement officer, mm-hmm. but we're saying 20 people. Why that many people need to be involved? These are little girls, right? These are little girls. Mm-hmm. And I guess in my mind, I was like, that is mortifying that here is a little girl and these are people you're not a medical professional Mm -hmm. there are parts of this this child that not 20 people don't need to be seeing right like no offense i don't know maybe that is just maybe that's just i don't know that's just my opinion but when i read that 20 people were in that room i i just question why did that i was the parent to be there i would definitely 
that would have raised the hackles on me. Like, why are there 20 people in there? Like, already my child has been, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm yeah. gonna, let me get off that high horse right now. So here's a kooky fact, though. The AC systems failed right after all 20 of these officials got situated in the aut- autopsy lab. Instead of moving the bodies to a different lab, they simply remained there and propped open the back door to let a breeze in. Are you kidding no. me? No. Doris's cause of death was established as a asphyxiation ligature strangulation. She had black adhesive tape across the chest area of her garment, black tape wrapped around her wrist, a portion of terry cloth material under her chin. Maybe they thought to be part of an old ace bandage, and it was used as a gag, they believe. Mm. There was evidence of sexual assault present. Um, it wasn't specified what that included, mm-hmm. but it did say that there was evidence of sexual assault. Oh, At 8.15 p.m., Michelle Gousset's aut- autopsy was started. Her cause of death was blunt impacts to the head with lacerations and contusions of the brain. Michelle also was found to have had cord around an unspecified part of her body as well. She also presented evidence of sexual assault. Those poor babies. At 9.45 p.m., Lori Farmer's autopsy began. Her cause of death was laceration of the brain due to blunt impact of the head. Lori was the only one who didn't have any ties or ligatures on her body. However... She also presented evidence of sexual assault. Oh, gosh. And like I said before, it was believed that Lori and Michelle were murdered in their beds and then drug. Uh, it was believed that Doris did not pass away until she was in the spot where she was found. Oh, that's awful. Like, I mean, I've heard this story several times, mm-hmm. you know, but every time you hear it, it's just more and more horrifying. Exactly. I, it's sickening. June 15th, 1977. Three specially trained tracking dogs from Pennsylvania are flown to Camp Scott. This is the first day that the name Gene Hart is also a mention, or is mentioned to authorities. The Magic Empire Council of the Girl Scouts of America starts a $1,000 reward fund. It quickly increases with donations from citizens and other businesses. Oklahoma camps tighten their security measures. The campfire girls who left for camp on June 14th left with armed guards. Wow. On June 16th, the three Kiowa unit counselors are questioned by police. The glasses and glasses case found were one of the counselors. She had reported them missing the day of the murders. The counselors were told to go in and they couldn't remove any of their belongings, but Mm -hmm. to just kind of take stock of their belongings. Mm -hmm. Additionally, one of them did report that their purse had also been stolen that night. Camp Garland, which was a Boy Scouts of America camp, located three miles away on the other side of the street from Camp Scott. Mm -hmm. They remained opened the entire time. In fact, of the 130 boys attending that camp, only 13 were picked up early by loved ones, although it was stated that security measures were added and increased. It was believed that during this time, most likely the uh, murderer, murderers, were probably still in the area, hiding out. And I'll get to why. There were three fingerprints and lots of footprints that were found. Thank goodness for the rain. They were found in different places. It was theorized during this time that the counselor's tent and a nearby farmhouse, which I'll talk about in just a minute, Mm -hmm. were all burglarized right before the murders happened, like maybe a day or hours before. Wow. 
Two hunters discover a cave that appeared to have been lived in recently, two miles southwest of Camp Scott. It is believed this cave is to be near a cellar that was all that remained of the house Jean Leroy Hart grew up in. Of course, at the time that this was discovered, it wasn't known that Mm -hmm. that's where he had grown up. I didn't even remember that. Inside the cave were photographs of two women, along with the newspaper, dated the same as that of the newspaper stuffed into the flashlight. Oh, my gosh. It was from the same edition and everything. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Broken sunglasses and a piece of green plastic with duct tape attached. These items were similar to that that had been used on the flashlight at the crime scene. The broken glasses were similar to those missing from a camp counselor. The photos of the two women were sent to newspapers so that they could identify who these women were. Mm. Now, here's another sad thing because we've got children here and now I'm going to attack the other hearts. On June 18th, two of the three tracking dogs die. One from a heat stroke and one from being struck by a car. Oh, my gosh. June 19th. It is discovered that a 110-acre ranch, I mentioned it just a few minutes ago, Mm -hmm. uh, less than a mile west of the camp, was burglarized. Probably, again, like I said, prior to the murders, maybe even the same day as the counselor's tent had been Mm -hmm. broken into. Several footprints and fingerprints were found, and they seemed to have matched what they found at the camp. The tape used to bind the wrist was believed to have come from this farm. It matched what the rancher had said was missing when the rancher listed everything that was missing. Tape was one of them. Ashes from a fire were found on the property. The farmer was out of town during the murders, and this was confirmed, but he did take and pass a lie detector test. And this is the same day that Barbara Day comments with her concern about a, quote, sick society. And wondered, this is June 19th. The murders happened on the 13th. She wondered if the camp would ever reopen. Spoiler, it didn't. I, that just burns my grits that you are so concerned about your camp instead of the three lives that were lost at your camp. Like, I, uh, I can't even comprehend right. that. And I know she had mentioned that like, she was having to try to explain to her daughter what the sick society that they were living in and this other stuff. But I, there's just a part of me that's like three children lost their lives. And her mm-hmm. daughter was nine. One of the victims was nine. Like, have some compassion. You would think having a daughter that age. I wouldn't want it to you would. Home. I mean. You would think that you would have that kind of empathy. Right. I agree. Ah, oh, gosh. I don't, that just boils my guts. On June 24th, Oklahoma Governor David Boren offers up the help of the Oklahoma National Guard to Mays County. Sheriff Weaver refuses the assistance. Why? On the same day, a Locust Grove grocery store is robbed of food and cigarettes. June 22nd. Five Boy Scouts are questioned about a, quote, camper from May, who was described as a skinny, pale kid. I think he wasn't really a camper. And that's why they use the the quotes around Mm -hmm. the camper. But I don't know that these five boys knew that he wasn't a camper. I think they figured it out later that he wasn't a camper. But anyways, he ate with the Scouts, talked with them. Then he went and stole a hatchet. 
a hunting knife, and some whetstone. Uh, red flags. And then he ran away. Oh, God. The same day, another cave is discovered west of Camp Scott. This is named Cave Number Two. Mm-hmm. Inside, the stolen food and cigarettes are found. Mm. They do send the cigarettes off for testing, and they were smoked by someone with type O blood. Now, this is the most common type of blood for Americans, but it's also Gene Leroy Hart's blood type. Mm. Hair was also found. And it matched the hair that was found on the tape, being someone from Mongolia or Native American ancestry. Mm -hmm. Uh, This cave was found to be overlooking that of Jean Hart's mother's home. Interesting. Larry Dry, an escapee from Mays County Jail, was again arrested and identified the cave as a hiding place used by himself and Hart when they both together escaped from jail. Hoo-wee. June 23rd. Jean Leroy Hart, convicted rapist, on the run from the law after escaping Mays County Jail, is charged with first-degree murder for the deaths of Michelle Gousset, Lori Farmer, and Doris Milner. He quickly became Oklahoma's number one most wanted person. Mm-hmm. Public enemy number one. Absolutely. And probably not even Oklahoma's. Probably the nations, because at this time, this atrocity gripped our nation. Right. Yep. I mean, because who would think that something like that would happen at a children's camp? Right. Now, a lot of things happen Mm -hmm. in this time period. um, And I just kind of went over a quick one. You are going to cover the manhunt and Gene Leroy Hart himself. I am. But I did want to um, include one more item. Okay. August 1st. Cave number three is located. Authorities were taken there by another inmate who said he and Hart had been there together after the murders. It's just south of cave number two. So remember, he grew up in this area. Right. He has a vast knowledge of this cave system. Right. Every single cave is just mere miles away from the place he grew up, his mother's current home, and Camp Scott. Mm Mm-hmm. There was no evidence found in this cave except for one very spooky message. You want to see what it said? Mm-hmm. I do. The killer was here. Bye-bye, fools. 77-6-17, which, of course, is the way to write the year 1977, the month of June, the day the 17th. Wow. Now, instead of leaving everybody, our listeners, you, even you, Jess, with all mm-hmm. these grisly pictures, let's mm-hmm. remember the victims. Mm-hmm. Those sweet girls, who they were before just their school pictures, because of all, you know, their school pictures mm-hmm. got plastered all over the nation, probably all over the world. It's immortalized by media, but they were people. Right, they were. So I want to leave you all with three beautiful pictures of three lovely girls just trying to have their best summer. Mm-hmm. So let's start with Michelle Heather Gousset. And I'm going to read just a little snippet from the book The Camp Scott Murders by C.S. Kelly. And it's found on page 57. And each one of these has like a, a lovely little write-up of each girl. And I'm going to read each one. But. Okay. Michelle Heather Gousset, nine, was an excellent student well-liked by others and an avid reader. She was shy, but had loved playing on a soccer team during fourth grade. 
She was a member of the local Girl Scouts, JJ, Troop Number 624, and Broken Arrow. All right. So she was an avid Girl Scout. She had attended Camp Scott in 1976. She was very excited about going to camp, but told her mother that she would miss her when she mm-hmm. was there. Um, she specializes. This is really a neat thing. She specialized in growing and caring for African violence. Oh. She even made sure that her mom would take care of them while she was away at camp. Um, she was very active and athletic. Um, it was stated that her room stayed very much the same. Mm-hmm. And I, I imagine all the girls' rooms stayed very much the same mm-hmm. after they did not return home. But her mother even said, even the violets, like her mother made sure to take care of them every Aww. day um, afterwards. So, uh, you know, I said that each girl went and wrote a letter. Mm-hmm. I have a copy of all three letters and okay. I'd like to read them too. So this was uh, Michelle's letter. Um, this is the one that she wrote. Mm-hmm. She wrote, Dear Aunt Karen. So the first person she wrote was her aunt. Aww. How are you? I am fine. I am writing from camp. We can't go outside because it is storming. Me and my tent mates are in the last tent in our unit. My tent mates are Denise Milner and Lori Farmer. My room is in shades of purple. Love, Michelle. Aww. Lori Lee Farmer. And I was going to read her little snippet. It's on page 63 of the same book. Lori Lee Farmer, 8, was well-liked and had a sweet personality. Her father, Charles Farmer, described Lori as an exceptional and bright child who, at 16 months old, suddenly recited the Pledge of Allegiance flawlessly. Then, two months later, when she was 18 months old, recited the entire Twas the Night Before Christmas. By the time Lori was two years old, she could work a 100-piece jigsaw puzzle. Lori would later skip the second grade after testing showed she had an IQ of 130 and a mental age of 10. Oh, wow. Lori's ninth birthday would have been Sunday, June 19th, 1977. Oh. Just six days after her first day at camp. The Farmer family had planned to come to the camp that day of her birthday so they could all celebrate together. She couldn't decide between the Girl Scout camp or a YMCA camp here mm-hmm. in Tulsa, so her mother decided for her. Oh. She was actually the youngest Girl Scout at Camp Scott that session. She couldn't wait to meet new friends. She was the oldest of five children. So here's her last letter. Lori wrote, Dear Mom and Dad and Misty and Joe and Chad and Kathy, so she included her siblings that's so sweet we're just getting ready to go to bed it's 7 45 we're at the beginning of a storm and having a lot of fun i've met two new friends michelle gousset and denise miller she put denise instead of doris which i thought was interesting well the other one you read said denise as well oh maybe she went i think she went by denise I'm sharing a tent with them. It started raining on our way back from dinner. We're sleeping on cots. I couldn't wait to write. We're all writing letters now because there's hardly anything else to do. With love, Lori. I love how she's so excited about sleeping on the cot. I know. (laughs) It's kind of like my kids who get excited about sleeping on an air mattress. Yeah. (laughs) And our last girl, Doris Denise Milner. I'm going to read her little excerpt. Doris Denise Milner, 10, sold Girl Scout cookies to friends, neighbors, and relatives, and finally saved enough money for her trip to camp. 
Doris's principal said she was one of the nicest little girls you'd ever want to talk with, described by teachers as a model student who received straight A's in the fourth grade and had been honored for having the highest achievement and best study habits in her class. Her mother described her daughter as an extremely friendly little girl who loved people, and anywhere we went, she always made friends. Mm. Denise taught herself to read and write at age four, and anytime she had a question about anything, she went to the library to look it up. She was especially interested in tap dancing, skating, and gymnastics, and studied each of those skills. She was a child that wanted to do so much and just tried to do everything she could. Denise dearly loved her younger sister, who was five at the time. Oh, that is so sweet. That is so adorable. Carla Wilhite, the Kiowa camp counselor mm-hmm. who found the bodies, mm. she recalls meeting Denise on the 12th and remembered her as a beautiful and radiant child. She, quote, she was the only African-American and first-time camper, and I remember thinking we would want to make sure she had a good start and a great experience. Mm. She was excited about going to camp, but as the time grew near, the idea of leaving her mom and her little sister really made her anxious. Mm-hmm. Uh, towards the end, like right before she was supposed to leave, she decided she didn't want to go, that she wasn't going to like camp, but her mom convinced her to try it out, encouraged her to be more independent, and that if she really, really didn't like it, she could come home. Mm-hmm. Um, she had never been camping before. Several of her friends and herself, they had just sold the heck out of these cookies so that they could get <laughs> to go. And in the end, her friends didn't end up getting to go. Mm. So um, she was going to go. She had recently been accepted into the Carver Middle School, which was a magnet school in Tulsa for exceptional children. I believe it still is pretty, yeah, pretty I, I think it important, is. Uh, pretty prestigious mm-hmm. school here in town. She was so excited about starting school in the fall. She loved watching TV and even playing with her little sister. She was described as quite the pleasant little girl and friendly. Kept to herself and didn't bother nobody. And, of course, this was quoted by a 13-year-old male peer. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, here is her letter. And I'm going to warn you all, her letter is a bit heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. But... We need her story. She needs to be remembered. She wrote, dear mom, I don't like camp. It's awful. And it even has the misspelling how she misspelled off. The first day it rained. I have three new friends named Glenda, Lori, and Michelle. Michelle and Lori are my roommates. Mom, I don't want to stay at camp for two weeks. I have to come home and see Cassie and everybody. Your loving child, Denise Milner. It is speculated that all of the tents had four campers in it. This one only had three. Mm-hmm. Actress Kristen Chenoweth was scheduled to attend camp, this camp session. Mm-hmm. But um, on the day that they left, she had come down with strep throat. Um, she was in the same, or she attended the same school as... I think that's Michelle. Michelle. Yes, they weren't in this. They were in the same grade. They were not in the same class, mm-hmm. and um, but they they knew of each other, mm-hmm. and it is speculated that she would have probably been in Kiowa because she was in this, the the right age group, mm-hmm. and that she probably would have been in that tent as well. 
Okay, I thought I had heard that there was a fourth girl in their in their camp, but they, um, it was like all of a sudden they put her in a different one or something like that. There had been some sort. They said that there had been some sort of error. Okay, maybe that's and what it was. Um, maybe maybe that was one of them. I don't. I had never heard the Kristen Chenoweth thing until the Keeper of the Ashes came out. Yeah. And I don't know that most people had known that. Yeah, I, I didn't know that until but, I saw that. Um, so it kind of makes sense. Yeah, it makes but sense. But then, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. So I know a lot of people kind of discount Ooh. Kristen Chenoweth's story, but I don't know why she, I mean, I don't know why she would lie about something like that, you know? Yeah. So I want to leave you guys with one kooky fact. This was not the first Girl Scout camp murder. In fact, another Girl Scout was brutally murdered in an eerily similar fashion, almost identical, 14 years before the Camp Scott murders. And I'm going to read from the Camp Scott murders by C.S. Kelly. It's the actual article that they had on this murder. Camp murder in Colorado 14 years before Camp Scott Colorado Scout Margaret Elizabeth Beck, 16, from Denver, was slain 14 years before the murders at Camp Scott. In 1963, Margaret was found dead in her sleeping bag at Mile High Girl Scout Camp. The teenager slept alone in a tent tent the last night of a five-day outing for the Scouts. Her tent companion had spent the night in the infirmary due to a cold. Camp personnel noticed no signs of violence and initially thought the girl, whose body was in a zipped-up sleeping bag, had choked in her sleep or had heart failure. Before the sheriff arrived on the scene, camp leaders had cleaned everything up in her tent, packed her clothes, and swept up in an attempt to keep from scaring the other campers. When the sleeping bag was unzipped, officials discovered Margaret had been sexually assaulted and murdered. Officials questioned over 300 people and believed one of them was the killer, but without physical evidence, no arrests were ever made. I didn't know that. That is awful. It's chilling. Yeah. It's chilling. Oh my gosh. And that's where I'm going to end part one. It's hard. It's, it's hard. We knew when we became podcasters that this was a story we wanted to cover. Mm-hmm. We knew that this was going to be a hard subject to swallow. Mm-hmm. Um, as aunts, as mothers ourselves, mm-hmm. I'm a mother just as I'm a mother, but she's an aunt. I am an aunt. And, um, and I have an, I have a niece that is right at this age. Mm-hmm, she, mm-hmm. That's going to be seven in August. Right, right. And just thinking of her in that mm-hmm. situation, like, I don't mm-hmm. even, like, I'm getting choked up right. thinking about it. And I have a niece that's eight. Yeah. And you're in the same, you're in the same situation or same boat. So I just... What a nightmare that this had to be. It still, it still is very nightmarish when you read about it and you discover and we talk about it. But we're going to go into um, more of the investigation, and then we will. Jess is going to dive right into uh, Jean Leroy Hart, mm-hmm. and but that will be on next week's episode. Mm-hmm. So we would really appreciate if you guys would rate, review, and follow us on your favorite listening podcast platform. We are on all of them, including Apple and Spotify and iHeartRadio and Amazon. We can also be found on our socials at Curious Cousins OK on Instagram. 
at Curious Cousins OK Podcast on Facebook and at Curious Cousins OK on Twitter, but Cousins is spelled C-U-Z-N. Or, hey, just get to your favorite social media site and type in Curious Cousins OK and we will pop up, I promise. Mm-hmm. Um, you're also welcome to email us with any questions, comments, listener tales, requests, yeah, etc. Don't, don't forget to check out our sister podcasters, The Sirens and Eerie Oki, because they both cover this. Right, and right. If you're interested in it go check them out so feel free to you know reach out to us at curious cousins okay at gmail.com we'll be back next week with part two oh i forgot what we are going to be going to the oklahoma city ghost tour (gasps) in august on august 12th so i forgot about that want to go uh, please, please, please sign up. Come with us. That would be great. Mm-hmm. It's gonna. Yeah, be, it's, it's only gonna be twelve dollars. So, twelve bucks, friends. You can. Oh, come on, you can do it. What a great way to start. It's right before I have to go back to school. Yeah, I'm so excited. I'm to really go. excited. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Jeff Provine puts it on. So, um, how many books do we take with us? How many is too many books to take with us we for take him to sign? All of them. I know, right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but. We'd love it if you guys would want to uh, tag along with us. Yeah, All right. Be fun. So, Jess, tell them what to keep it. Keep it kooky and spooky. Bye. Bye.